few years ago, uh, my family and I moved into a new house. And one of the observations I made when I moved in is that our property line was up against another gentleman's property. And just judging from the way this gentleman took care of his property, he was probably very passionate about where property lines fell. And so one day I walked out there and I noticed that there were two different stakes that kind of made it a little bit confusing. So I thought, okay, I'm not trying to make any enemies here, so I'm going to go talk to this gentleman. This was a much older gentleman. He was actually in his late 80s. Um, And so I walked up to him. He happened to be outside cleaning off some ears of corn, getting ready to cook dinner, and he lived by himself. And so I walked up to him and introduced myself, and we were talking, and I said, so, uh, yeah, those steaks are kind of confusing. Do you know what's going on? And he uh, very directly and passionately informed me that this was his and where it was and where it ended and all that stuff. And so I ended up continuing to talk with him. And as often happens, uh, we got to the question of, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm one of the pastors at a church in the area. And all of a sudden, his face kind of got like this uh, little twinge of frustration. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, I used to go to church. He said, but the pastor at that church said something to me, and I'll just never forget that. Hadn't been back since. I said, well, how long ago was this? He goes, oh, probably about 45 years. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this for a minute, and I said, well, I know I can't speak for that gentleman, but as a pastor, whatever he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry he said that to you. Then he goes, all right. And we moved on in the conversation, and I walked back to my house, and unfortunately, a couple months later, this gentleman passed away. And I, I'm going to be honest, I had like a five-minute conversation with him, so I'm no judge of character or anything like that to know like where this guy was and his relationship with God, and I'm not making any implications about that. But I remember walking back down the hill to my house that day, and I remember thinking, what in the world? Like, what in the world can you say to somebody that for 45 years, they just keep that distance there? Like, what in the world can you say to somebody, like, and because, like, the way he had, he, had, he had articulated it, it was almost like he just said one sentence to him, and the guy just walked off, and I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, I'm a pastor, and I don't have the greatest personality in the world. I probably do this weekly. But I remember sitting there, and I'm walking back down the hill thinking through this, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm like, how does that get there? How does it get to that point? And then I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about people I knew, and I thought, you know what? Man, we all drop those barriers all the time when it comes to our relationship with God. I mean, because if I'm sitting there thinking through it with that guy, and, you know, once again, I don't, I don't, don't know him very well. I didn't know him very well. But I'm sitting there thinking through that, and I'm going, man, what, what barriers are we putting between us and God? And see, that's the question this morning. That's what I want to know, because here's... Here's what I know from my own personal experience. There's times in my life and there's seasons where I drop this mental line in the sand between me and God, and I tell God I'm not going to cross it. And I've got all the best excuses in the world. I've got all the good, sound reasoning in the world that I'll sit something and something will come into my mind, and all of a sudden it'll be like, no, that's, that's not who I am. That's not my personality. That's not my skill set. There's been times in my life that I've tried to draw a line in the sand between me and God and tell him I'm not going to cross this, I'm not going to go through this, or I've put distance between me and God, and it's because of something that happened to me. Because I've already been down this path once, and I'm not going to put myself back out there again, God. See, maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe some of you are sitting here, and 
I mean, I can just go ahead and boldly say there are a lot of us sitting in this room right now where we've dropped a line in the sand. We put a barrier between us and God. See, Scripture tells us you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. So we know that if we come to God with all our heart, that we will find him. So it's not on his end. He sent Jesus on this earth to die for our sins so that the barriers have been torn down. And so now the only barriers that are showing up are the ones that we're allowing to be in place. He's given us victory over sin and over death. Yes, we live in a sinful, broken world with pain and struggles and all these things. But when it comes to us and God, when there's a barrier there, it's us. And so that's my question this morning. Where are you drawing a line in the sand between you and God and you're telling God you're not crossing over it? What part of your life are you creating a distance between you and God with? And listen, I know. I know you've experienced pain. I know church or the people in the church or the system of the church hasn't lived up to the expectations that you had a few months, a few years, a few decades ago. I know that life took a turn that you weren't expecting. I know that your ministry opportunity didn't work out, and you put your neck out there, and you proclaimed to a bunch of people. But you can't put those barriers there. So this morning, that's what we're talking about, because we've got two guys we're going to read about in the book of Luke that are starting to put a barrier there. They're starting to put that mental mark of that line that they won't cross. Or maybe in their case, they won't cross again. Because something fell through, and now they're making a couple of decisions, and they're just kind of stepping back. So we pick up in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has been crucified, and he's been buried, and he's been in the tomb for three days. In the beginning of this chapter, we learned that a few women go down, and they were going to like do some spices and go see the tomb and all this stuff. When they get there, the tomb's open, his body's gone, and some angels speak to them and say, he is no longer here, he is alive. And so they run back and they tell the disciples, this group of people who have been faithfully following him for probably two to three years, depending on when they picked up in the story. And they go and they tell them, hey, he's not here, he's alive. And we hear the reaction in verse 11, chapter 24. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This is the disciples' reaction to these women coming back, telling him, hey, he's not there, and we had a vision of angels telling us he's alive. They doubted. I mean, these are all the guys who were faithfully with him, but they did that whole thing where they all kind of like bailed. As soon as they realized that Jesus was, was going to be turned over to the priest and beat and killed, they all just kind of split. They were out. And so now these women are coming back saying, but wait, he's alive. And most of them aren't buying in. A couple of them actually do go to the tomb, Peter and a few others. And then we pick up in the story with two disciples in particular. And just go ahead and give you a heads up. These guys weren't a part of the 12, or which is now 11. These guys weren't part of them. These were part of that bigger crowd of people around them that was following Jesus. And in chapter 13, it says this, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They're leaving. 
Now, I don't think they're like bailing. They're not like, nah, this isn't for me. I'm gone. I think they're just saying, wait a minute, I need a break. I need a breather. We've been doing this whole follow Jesus thing, and last Sunday, like, everybody's dropping palm branches, and we were with them because the incoming king was coming into town, and and by this Sunday, we were going to be, like, on the victory march because politically we'd overthrown the Roman government, and now Jerusalem was, was back to the Jews, and worship of God had been restored, and he says, but that didn't happen, not the way they thought it would. And so they're sitting there in this tense situation, and these women come in, and they say this, and they're sitting there like, nah, this is, this is, this, no. And so this guy and his friend, they just start walking. They're not going far away, just seven miles down the road. So they're just walking a couple hours down the road because all of a sudden this didn't pan out. And they're starting to put that barrier up. See, they're in the process of it. They're still talking it out. I bet by this point, three days later, they're still so moved with grief, they haven't even really figured out how to articulate where their faith's at. And somebody shows up. And in verse 15, it says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So these guys that walked with Jesus, they were his disciples. They were around him. They saw him teach. They ate meals with him. Things didn't go as planned. They're walking away. And as they're walking away, Jesus shows up, and they don't even see it. I mean, that's us, right? We get that barrier. We get that doubt. We get that line in the sand between us and God, and then we can walk into a church service, or we can have an encounter with somebody. Is speaking truth to us and we don't even see it because we're holding on so tightly to that. Now nah, I'll never do that again. No, I'm not going to do that. God, I mean, I trust you. I love you and everything, but but if you ever call me to this, I can't do it. They're walking away, and Jesus still shows up. So he's sitting there and he's talking with them. In verse 17, and he said to them, What is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice their words right here are not unflattering. They're still proclaiming that Jesus was a mighty person from God executing his word. But I almost read this and I go like, you know what? I don't know if they've heard themselves say this yet. Because they say the phrase, we had hoped that he was the Redeemer. See, because you're sitting here right now, and I've been there before, and I'm still there in certain areas of my life, maybe I'm still praying through this, still working through this. But you're sitting there right now, and you had hoped it would go this way, and it didn't. 
that you hoped you'd be sitting in this chair right now and your life would look dramatically different. And when it didn't work out, you created that distance. Because there's nothing that separates us as believers from the love of Christ. But God doesn't want a fake relationship. He doesn't want to force you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He leaves that to you because he wants a real, genuine love that is a choice, not just an emotion. In fact, this morning, I hope you don't have an emotional encounter with God. I want you to have an encounter with him that is because you are seeking him. Because you remember that he is the one, he is the redeemer. And these guys, as they're articulating this, you can almost feel like that barrier is coming up because all of a sudden they just said, we had hoped. And maybe in their minds they're sitting there going like, wait a minute, don't, do we still hope? Like, but he's, but he's dead. Like there's this tension and there's grief because they're standing there sad. As soon as Jesus asked that question, they stopped walking. They're feeling beat up. They don't know what they're doing when they get to where they're going. They just know they're, they're, they they got to get out of here. And they keep talking, and they actually like kind of unveil the whole story. And you keep reading, and after they says, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, in verse 21, we continue, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They don't give any commentary on this statement. See, previously they said we'd hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, but now they got this new information, and man, they haven't even they haven't even thought through it. They're just spilling their guts to, from their perspective, this guy that asked them a question. Because they're hurting, they're wounded. It didn't work out. But Jesus is still right there with them in the midst of these guys starting this pattern of putting up this barrier. You see, they've already taken a couple steps. They've stepped away from Jerusalem and the other disciples. They've stepped to a place where they can articulate, we had hoped. They haven't said we don't hope anymore. And they've been able to articulate to somebody this this radical story, but they're not really claiming one side or the other here. They don't even know what's happening with his body's not there anymore. But then Jesus steps in. In verse 25, And then he, being Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly to stay. Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. There's a turn that happens right here. 
these guys are starting to put up this barrier. They're starting to draw that line in the sand. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps in, and he opens God's word to them. When it sits here and it talks about the prophets and the writings of Moses and all that stuff, he's talking about the Old Testament. He opens the word of God and reminds them and speaks back into them the truth of Scripture. And at this point, they don't sit there hard-hearted. At this point, they don't sit there and try just not to think about it. At this point, they're not trying to avoid the conversation. They open up their ears and open their hearts and they let it sink in so that by the time they get to where they're going, which is away from Jerusalem, and it looks to them like Jesus is going to keep walking, they say, no, 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 no. Come back. We want to hear more. And look at what happens at the moment they do this. At the moment they open themselves up. At the moment, instead of stepping away, they take a step back. And just like happened all the time in Jesus' ministry, he was passing through this town. Well, all of a sudden they wanted him to stay. So what does Jesus do? He stays. And not only does he stay, he reveals himself to them. In verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's interesting how at the point they ask this gentleman who is revealing the scriptures to them, who's talking to them, who's working through it with them. It's the point they ask him to say that their eyes are opened. Because that was their first step right there in getting rid of that barrier. They didn't turn a cold ear and a hard heart to the truth of God's Word. Instead, they opened themselves up, and all of a sudden, Jesus is revealed. And we find out why they made that decision here in the next verse. In verse 32, did they say, then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, up, opened the Scripture up to us? See, something's happening right here. They're remembering what it is to be close to Jesus what it is to hear his word, to break bread with him, to have fellowship with him. And that barrier that they were starting to put up, that line in the sand they were starting to draw that they couldn't get past, you know what, maybe they're sitting there and the, those other guys went to the tomb. And it's like we do with people that we consider like super believers. We think, no, I could, I could never do that. And that thought alone puts a line in the sand, and we start to believe some lies that are in our head. Maybe the enemy's taking an assumption you've made, and you're going, yes, let's solidify that in your mind so that you never cross that line for the glory of God again. Let me just break the lie right now. When you look at somebody and think, I can never believe they do the way they do, yes, you can except you're going to believe the way you do with the same amount of passion and vigor that they have. You might be sitting here this morning and you've never really bought into this whole thing. 
Maybe the depth of your relationship with God is I come to church about every other week just so I don't feel guilty. And what's holding you back is this lie that that's all you're going to be, that you can't be like the rest of the people in the room. That's bogus. It's a lie. You can cross that barrier because Christ has already died on the cross to destroy that barrier. There is no barrier between you and him. There's just simply him with open arms begging you to come to him, and you sitting there going, I, don't, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. But you see, these disciples, they've experienced Christ before, and they know it. They know that call. And so what's their reaction in verse 33? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. What if they'd have kept going? What if they'd have shut their ears when this guy on the road started telling them the Scriptures and go, no, 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 no. I've heard a better pastor than you. I'm good. I, I, I'm good this week. I'm just so overwhelmed. I just, I just, I just can't listen right now. Okay, my brain's just, just not there. They don't put any more barriers in the way. And as soon as they get back, they hear the message, the truth, the reality that completes the thought that they started with Jesus on the road. Those women said he is now alive and risen, and it's confirmed when they get back. And it's not just the testimony of the other believers who's experienced him. It's because they had an interaction with Jesus and they dropped the barrier. So that's our question for you this morning. Are you drawing a line in the sand? Do you have that mental barrier that's not letting you take that next step in your walk with Christ? And listen to me. I know there's a reason for it. I know you experienced pain, disappointment. I know you think you put yourself out there last time and it didn't work out and it's your fault and you've missed it, but that's not it. God is ready and awaiting for you. Because we're doing this series, and it's called Patterns. And our topic today is ministry opportunities. As I was preparing for this, the thought kind of came in my mind of, man, why, why are we not leaving here and just boldly proclaiming the gospel of Christ? Why are we not just going and boldly proclaiming and broken over our neighbors and our town and coming back in here on a Sunday morning and just crying out with all our hearts to a wonderful God who moved this week? Like, why are we not doing that? It's because you can't do that if there's a barrier. You can't do that if there's a line in the sand that you're not willing to cross. Evangelism doesn't happen if you're not all in. 
Because once you're all in, all of a sudden it doesn't become a panic of, oh, no, what am I going to do? How do I do this? What's going to happen? It becomes a burden. It becomes a passion. It comes, becomes a natural outcome of your love relationship with God that you love others and want them to experience it. But we're not going to get there if we're a room full of people going, nah, God, I'm, I'm, I'm 90% there, but I'm not doing this. You see, because Jesus sent his son to the earth to destroy that barrier, to destroy the barrier of sin and death. And here's what I'm going to go ahead and say this. I know for a lot of you, I'm asking you to walk right back into the same pain you're trying to run away from. Those of you who have experienced pain in church or difficulty, if God calls you back into another situation that does that all over again, are you willing to make that sacrifice for his glory? See, because... Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, being the Son of God, came down to this earth to experience temptation and pain the same way that we do. Then he willingly gave himself up on the cross after being abandoned by all his friends, after being abandoned by his family, knowing that it was coming, knowing that at any moment he could stop it, but he never did. And he willingly gave up his life on that cross and rose again on the third day to overcome death. And we're going to sit here and we're going to say to God, God, I experienced pain last time I did this, so I, I don't want to do that again? It doesn't work. The ball's in your court this morning. If you know sitting there right now, you're holding on to a barrier between you and God, and you're not wanting to cross it, you're not wanting to go through it. If it's a lie that you're believing, hear me clearly say this morning, identify it to God. If I'm going to answer the question, what's holding me back, and I'm going to begin to process this and work this out, I need to be able to answer it right now on my knees before God and say, God, this is holding me back. Please forgive me. Help me work through it. Jesus sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, and you're free of these barriers. There's too many to list. <laughs> if you're waiting on the pastor to name your specific one for you to be released from whatever medical condition you're making an excuse for, and I'm not making light of those, okay, I know that pain's real, but don't use an excuse not to pursue God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If it's a relational issue and you haven't had a conversation with this person you've had tension with and you need to, then I pray that God impresses that on you this morning. But if we're going to be a church that's going to step out these doors and proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, and take it to every single neighborhood in Davidson County, then we have to become very disciplined in believers and allowing God to tear down our barriers. You can't do it at a distance. You can't do it without taking risk. 
But everything that we do, God is right there with us, even on the road when we're walking away. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Josh and the band's going to come up, and they're going to play a song that I guarantee you've never heard before. And I want you to stay seated. Because my invitation this morning, our invitation this morning, is not going to be to sing. It's going to be for you to have a conversation with God. See, because these disciples are walking down this road, and they're starting to put this barrier up. And they hear the word, and then they have this conversation with Jesus. And this morning, you know what I'm talking about. This morning, if there's a barrier that you're placing in the way, that you're allowing to be the way, a lie you're believing, spend the next few minutes and just begin to articulate that to God. Maybe you're sitting here and you're in a stage in your life where you're trying with everything you can to avoid this conversation. Don't let the lie creep into your mind of I'm not there yet. Right here, right now. God is here. He loves you. He doesn't want these barriers here, but he wants you to love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. 